and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the one, the only, Dancing Queen, the movie, 1994's Muriel's Wedding. So this movie is uh, near and dear to me. Um, I am uh, acting president of the Tony Collette fan club, um, and I enjoy her so much. I probably first saw her in um, probably Hereditary, actually. Um, but I know she was on um, United States of Terra back on Showtime, and you know um, she's in Sixth Sense and and all that stuff. She's a very acclaimed, known actress. But uh, you know, hearing about like, oh yeah, you know she uh, was in Muriel's Wedding, and I'm thinking, what the heck's Muriel's Wedding? So um, when I found this movie and I watched it for the first time, I was just blown away by uh, Tony Collette and also Rachel Griffiths as well. I'm I myself am a a huge Six Feet Under fan, and and you know seeing Brenda Chenoweth uh, have her Australian accent and you know um, being in one of these big breakout roles for her is is just amazing. So. Um, now, this movie, I, you know, the argument can be made of whether it's a cult classic or not. I personally think it is because even though I think it it did pretty all right, like, financially and, you know, it got good reviews for the most part, I guess. Um, it seems like uh, it's within that niche, similar to, you know, it's Australian cinema. Um, it's one of kind of, I see, like, the holy trinity of Australian films that kind of made uh, waves in America a little bit, too. That would be Muriel's Wedding, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and then Strictly Ballroom. Those three films are are touted as, like, Australian cinema that came over to America and also did pretty well over here. So, you know, I do think it's within that niche um, I also just think, you know, there's plenty of people who really love this movie and love the film. Um, you know, PJ Hogan is is a great director. And, um, you know, I, I really do think that, uh, you know, like the queer community really seems to like this film. Uh, I think different uh, women seem to also like it sometimes, depending on who you are, I guess. Um and there's plenty to kind of get from this as well. So uh, what we'll do is we'll go over a few figures of the film. Uh, I'll give a couple little fun facts, and then we'll move into a plot summary. So Muriel's Wedding was released September 29th, 1994. That was the Australian release of the film. Although I think it might have even premiered at Cannes or somewhere around there. Um, and then the U.S. limited release was on March 10th, 1995. So this movie was released in Australia in 1994 and then was released in America in 1995. Um, but I tend to say that it's Muriel's Wedding 1994. We're looking at an estimated budget of about $9 million. Uh, and we're looking at a world... Uh, wide gross box office of 15.4 million. This information I at least got from IMDb, so whether it's valid or not, eh, you know, take it for what it is. Um, but I've also seen that it made box office of like 50 mil uh, at one point. That probably came from like home video sales, maybe as well. Um, but, you know, this movie did pretty good at the box office, it seems like. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of uh, 80% on the tomato meter and 84% on the audience score. We're also looking at a IMDb score of 7.2 out of 10 and a Letterboxd score of 3.7 out of 5. So I've got some poll quotes from critical responses at the time of the film and even a little bit after. So we're looking at Hal Henson from the Washington Post, who states, It's a bright, buoyant comedy about a very sad young woman, and regrettably, the mix just doesn't work. We then have Alex Sandel from Juicy Cerebellum, who states, So overrated, my big fat Greek wedding for the 90s. I myself haven't seen my big fat Greek wedding, so I don't really know what to compare, but, you know, whatever. And then we have Todd McCarthy of Variety, who states, Most of the action is played for broad laughs, and Hogan demonstrates the ability to generate them, even if the humor is base and often cruel, making fun of people's looks and ineptitude. So I've got some fun facts about the film. Um, you may have heard, may have not, um, but we'll just go through a few of these. This movie was filmed October 1993 into um, February 1994, putting Tony Collette at age 21 and Rachel Griffiths at age 24. So this is very early in their careers. 
Um, the writer and director, PJ Hogan, um, wanted to use the music of ABBA in the film. Um, at first, permission for this music was denied by the band. Um, the director apparently promised to fly to Europe to plead his case. Uh, permission was then granted, um, as long as the band perceived a percent received a percentage of the profits from the film. Um, and actually, this is what IMDb is saying, but, um, somebody's putting it on there. It apparently helped inspire the very successful Broadway show that is Mamma Mia. I cannot claim that validity, but I will just say I'm not, I'm not surprised. I mean, I mean, hey, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I don't really know Mamma Mia like that, so I think Muriel's Wedding's a little better. But that's just me. Uh... Tony Collette had to gain 40 pounds in seven weeks um, with the help of a dietitian for this role. Um, she had only been in one movie, I think, before this called Spotswood, uh, which she actually starred um, with one of her um, family members in this movie. Uh, I think Perry. Uh, he was in the film with her as well. Um, but she did have to gain some weight. PJ Hogan actually based Muriel's personality on himself, and Muriel's actions, though, were inspired by his sister, who embezzled $15,000 from their father and disappeared to Sydney uh, to live with a friend. So that actually did happen, I guess. Uh, Bill Hunter, who plays Bill Heslop, uh was actually filming The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert at the same time, where he plays a role in that, um, requiring him to have different length hair beard and to be in different parts of the country so that must have been crazy but he was a big deal of course um the photographs in the Heslop family um album that they have uh i believe that was later on in the movie uh are actually photos of the actors who portray the family so they're like childhood photos of them uh porpoise spit is of course a, a fictional town but it is inspired by tweed's head new south wales australia where director and writer pj hogan grew up so I definitely think this film in particular, I mean, it does have a certain cult following. Um, you know, I've seen folks who, um, you know, <laughs> I, there's this one YouTube video, I think, it's of these uh, guys at their wedding, and they literally have done the Waterloo dance, um, and they've choreographed it to, to perform at their own wedding. Um, so I think in a way, like, you know, there are different people who really like this movie. I think the queer community seems to like this movie, maybe because Muriel is, like, an outsider, and she just wants to be different. Uh, she wants to change herself, um, and, but then she finds out that really nothing... It does, you know, life doesn't matter unless it's you're living it for yourself and you're living it with your loved ones. You know what I mean? So, I really think that that's like a huge part of it. I think also, you know, um, people who really love um, like film and you know love that Australian cinema, that kind of broad humor, uh, might really like this. Um, but it's no surprise. I think this is a cool coming of age kind of tale for you know young people in their twenties. I think we've all. Maybe not all of us have felt like Muriel, necessarily, but I'm sure some of us have. Um, and also, you know, you can just connect with her. And I think also, too, uh, a part of this is that, you know, Muriel is not exactly a likable character um, throughout the whole film. She's a pathological liar, um, and she's a swindler, and, you know, uh, she's kind of selfish, but, you know... Ultimately, once everything kind of falls all around around her, um, she then realizes like she's got to do something to change this because she's just not going to end up in a good place if she just keeps running from herself and lying. So um, I, I definitely think like you know this film I think has a cult following for a reason. I think it affects people in a way, um, and it's just something that I I personally. Um, really connect with and enjoy. Plus also the use of ABBA in this movie, uh, chef's kiss. Like it's so good, like, um, throughout all of it, but we'll get to that while we're uh, doing the plot summary and everything too. And let's move on to that plot summary. Open the movie on a title card that says the bouquet with a blue sky in the background. And we see a bouquet coming right to our faces. We then hear um, the song Sugar Baby Love um, while these women are trying to catch this bouquet that's being um, thrown at a wedding party by um, Tanya. Uh, and then we meet Muriel Heslop, played by Tony Collette. 
And then we hear uh, Tanya, played by Sophie Lee, say, Who caught it? And then one of her uh, blonde friends says, Muriel caught it, or whatever. So we're introduced to Muriel and Tanya. We're then um, introduced to Cheryl, played by Roz Hammond, in her um, debut role. Uh, We are also introduced to Janine, played by Belinda Jarrett, in her actual first and only role in a movie. Uh, And then we are introduced to Nicole, played by Pippa Grandinson, um, and also Chook, played by... Played by Nathan Kay. And uh, so Muriel is uh, told, you know, well, don't be selfish, Muriel. You know, um, Shane's been going out with, uh, Cheryl's been going out with Shane for, you know, however long. um, So she should get the bouquet. And then Cheryl breaks the news that Shane and I broke up last night. And she runs away and now Tanya has to go console her. And then you see, um, you see... Nicole and Chuck making eyes at one another, and then they go inside the house. Um, and that'll come back in just a minute. So then inside the house, you see Muriel getting a piece of cake. Um, and she's taking it. She's walking through the living room or whatever. We're around the party. She then meets a man by the name of uh, Leo Higgins, who uh, I'm not sure who plays him. But uh, he is this gentleman who is trying to, like... Um, you talk about his her dad. Uh, her dad will meet in just a little bit. Um, but he also has this like weird growth or weird like burn on his nose. And uh, Muriel literally says like, "What happened to your nose?" Uh, and he's just like, "What?" And he's like, "Sunburn. That's all." Um, so that's weird. Oh, uh, Leo Higgins is played by Rob Steele, I believe. Anyway, but uh, you then see. Um, this woman looking at uh, Muriel in her dress as she's like walking downstairs. And then uh, she then apparently calls the police because this woman is in like her retro glasses is named Dion. She's a senior store detective. Meanwhile, Muriel then sees Nicole and Chuck in the laundry room on the bottom floor of this house, uh, just screwing. So literally Chuck just got married to Tanya and he's now screwing one of her friends. So that's great. And then the police come to the wedding party and confront Muriel uh, about her dress being stolen uh, because the senior store detective we just met apparently uh, said that her dress is stolen. And then she is taken in a police car to go home. We're then introduced to the Heslop family. We're introduced to Bill Heslop, played by Bill Hunter. Uh, We're also then introduced to Betty, played by Jeannie Drynan. We meet Perry Heslop, played by Dan Wiley. Uh, And then Joni Heslop, who's played by Gabby Milgate. Uh, And we meet all of these folks who are Muriel's family. So Muriel's brought home by the police, uh, and then Joni's, like, uh, sees her pulling up in the police car. She just says, Muriel's back. So then Bill is talking to the police officers and pretty much schmoozes them. You know, he has Muriel try to go look for a receipt for the dress, and then she's just sitting in her room. But then Bill is schmoozing these, like, police officers because he has connections. He knows, like, one of their fathers or whatever. And he actually just kind of sends them on their way um, with a couple, like, a case of beer or something like that. Um so you, so you start to see that um, this is kind of what uh, Bill does. He's a local kind of politician dude, or he ran for local government. So he seems to be a kind of known face in the community. Um, we then see Muriel in her room. She puts on Dancing Queen, and she just very um, monotonely sings along, you know, You can dance. You can drive. It's that kind of thing. So you can already just tell that she's probably not the happiest of people. Uh, She might be a little down on herself. You then go over to the Heslop family, goes out to dinner at a place called the Rickshaw Room. Uh, You then note that, you know, they're sitting at a place, uh, at a table together. You see some Japanese gentlemen uh, with them as well. He apparently, Bill is apparently helping them try to get some developments being done in Porpoise Spit. Porpoise Spit is where this family lives at. And he actually gets the food for free because of the relationship that Bill has with the owner, uh, Victor Chan, I believe, uh, of this Rickshaw Room. So... 
You can tell that this kind of is like how Bill does his business in a way. Uh, he schmoozes people, he gets connections with people, things like that. Bill is talking about how Muriel and Perry are unemployed, they're on the dole, and he's talking about how um, Muriel went to secretarial school, you know, he paid for it, she comes out, couldn't even type. She then, uh, he tries to get her a job with um, some place, after a month they have to can her, um, and all that kind of stuff, and then Bill just calls his whole family useless. So you can just tell that he is just a fun, happy guy. Um, anyway, we're then introduced to Deirdre Chambers, who is played by Jenny Nevinson. And Deirdre is talking about how she's a beauty consultant with Radiant Cosmetics. Um, she then also is casually racist and says that, oh, well, you know, you're... Uh, you're, uh, she's talking to the Japanese men, and she's all like, oh, your wives must know all about that. They must be geishas, so that's fun. And then um, she just kind of ignores Betty for a minute uh, when Betty literally says to her, she's like, Deirdre, you look great. And, she, you know, Deirdre doesn't say anything to her. Uh, but then she is talking to her a little bit. And then you see uh, Deirdre come up to Muriel and offers her a job with Radiant Cosmetics. You can already tell this is like an LML. MLM type of scam. Um, but anyway, uh, you then move on to uh, the group going to a bar, um, and they're all sitting together. So Tanya is crying because she's found out that Chuck has cheated on her. Um, you know, pretty much what happened is that, you know, uh, he couldn't get it up uh, to, you know, consummate the marriage. And she tries to go and blow him pretty much. And she finds lipstick. Then he's uh, saying he has an affair with Rose Biggs. And all she does is uh, suck him off out of respect for her. So, you know, she's a real, real good friend, apparently. So then the girls are talking about, like, you know, I'm supposed to be blissful. I'm, supposed to, I'm married. I'm supposed to be blissful, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, one of the girls is like, you know, cash in your um, tickets to Bali and come, you know, on holiday with us. The girls are talking about going on holiday to Hibiscus Island. And then Muriel's all like, well, what holiday? And so the girls then talk to um, Muriel about them not hanging around with her anymore. But they did let her finish her orgasm drink before they told her this. So I was like, okay, that's nice. And then Muriel is, you know, talking about like, well, you know, I can change, you know, and, you know, I'm trying to be like you. And because they're telling her, they're like, you know, you don't do your hair the right way. You know, you're fat. Like, you don't wear the right clothes. You listen to 70s music. We listen to the baby animals and Nirvana. You know, so you can then see that Muriel is getting just so upset and down on herself. And, she then just says, like, I'm not nothing. And it's crazy because nobody has said that she's nothing. Nobody said that at all. But you can tell that this is kind of how she feels about herself. And, and she wants to say, like, you know, I'm not nothing. So, you know, her friends have kind of left her. She's kind of at a, a bit of a, a, a real, kind of a rock bottom, if you will. Um, you then see a scene of Perry... Uh, playing soccer in the backyard, where then uh, Bill just yells at him. He just yells, Perry, wake up to yourself! Because uh, he's just, like, playing soccer with, like, a milk carton or something. Um, and then Betty is uh, talking to his, you know, her husband. Uh, Bill tells Betty to give a blank check to Muriel so that she can get uh, makeup uh, to go and sell for, you know, Deirdre Chambers and all. And uh, Betty comes into Muriel's room and gives her a blank check. Um, she doesn't know where her to um, fill it out, uh, but Muriel just tells her fill it out to cash. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite lines is that you know I don't care what these people say. Uh, Betty's telling about that, and Muriel's just like, "Who what says?" You know, and she talks about like these terrible women at the post office. I'm just like, oh, okay. And Muriel tells her mom, she says, Mom, I'm going to be a success. I'm going to get married. And I'm going to be a success. And her mom even says, like, I know you will. And so you can tell that Muriel and her mother, like, they do have a nice little relationship going on, which is then all the more tragic of how the story kind of unfolds. So then we go to Hibiscus Island, and I am um, kind of talking about these girls, this group of friends, as like the blonde bimbos, if you will, because that's kind of what they are. Um, they're dancing to The Tide is High, 
who I believe that was um, the Go-Go's that kind of did that, I think. Anyway, so they're, like, watching the other people at this little, like, um, dancing competition. And then they see that Muriel has actually come to Hibiscus Island. So then they just go over to her. Muriel's just, like, you know, chilling at her little table. And she's like, oh, hi. And you're fancy seeing you here. And then Tanya just, like, throws a drink in her face. Um, and then one of the girls, I don't remember which one, um, maybe Cheryl or somebody. But she just says, like, while she's wearing this, like, banana bra and all, she just says, you've got no dignity, Muriel. Which I thought was, like, super funny. So then you see Muriel is at dinner, and, you know, she's just, like, chilling with her little sunglasses and her little red top. And then this woman, who has this, like, short black hair and these sunglasses, just, like, looks at her for a minute. And you see that this is Rhonda, because she is uh, asking, you know, are you Muriel Heslop? And she's like, no. Why? And so she's like, yes, you are. Um, it's, you know, it's me. It's Rhonda, um episode from you know Papa Spit and Rhonda is played by Rachel Griffiths the one and only she's asking you like you know are you married like you know um whatever whatever like are you if you're not Muriel Heslop like I must you must change your name or something like that and Muriel's then talking about how she has um she's engaged she's engaged to a guy named Tim Sims um who apparently um from the IMDb trivia it says that that name is like a play on Tim Tams which is like a little treat in Australia and then dim sums which is like a kind of Asian food that is uh to Australia so it's like Tim Sims it's kind of funny but anyway so Muriel and Rhonda are talking about you know oh yeah you know they're talking about, you know, my uh, Rhonda's like, oh, my life is just one fling after another. Um, and then Muriel's like, I oh, remember Tanya Dagano. Uh, she got married to Chuck. And be like, who's that? Like, oh, Peter Vanille. Um, and then they're talking about these blonde bimbos and everything. And then, um, what is it? So you have, uh, you see them over there. And I love that scene where Muriel and her see it. And um, Muriel's just like, you know, I do see them. They're over there. And then they have this little conversation of just like, they're here for Tanya's honeymoon. Chuck couldn't come. And they have this like little look at each other. And then we have one of the most iconic scenes in really movie history. One of them. Um, Rhonda sees the nice blonde, you know, the mean blonde bimbos. This uh, pool. And she just is like, Tanya. And then they're like, oh my god, I haven't seen you since Porpoise High. Porpoise Spit High. Um, and be like, how are you? You know, Muriel told me you're uh, married. Turkey, right? Um, and she's like, Chuck. You're like, Chuck, right? And so, you know, then Tanya's asking them, you know, she's asking Rhonda, like, have a, have a drink with us, you know? If you've changed, I'll tell you. I'm honest. Unlike some people, I tell the truth. And then Rhonda's like, the truth. I tell the truth, too. And then she pretty much says, just, Nicole's having an affair with Chuck. Muriel, I'm still fucking in the laundry on your wedding day. And she just says, stick your drink up your ass, Tanya. I'd rather swallow razor blades than drink with you. Which is just such an iconic scene. And she also mentions, you know, oh, by the way, I'm not alone. I'm with Muriel. Um, and it's just such an iconic scene, because... For anybody who's ever felt picked upon or bullied or any of this stuff, if only you could just, you know, go up to these people and tell them off like that. It is just, it makes your heart sing. You know what I mean? Which then we then go into this nice, fun Hibiscus Island star search with the group Faba Abba, made up of Muriel and, um, <laughs> and Rhonda, singing uh, Waterloo. And so they're just, like, singing this song. One of the fun things about this uh, scene, I really enjoy the fact that um, Nicole has a black eye from an earlier fight with Tanya, because you see these girls, like, in the audience for this. Um, and then you also see, like, throughout this, like, dance number that um, <laughs> there's some points that, like, uh, Muriel and Rhonda are just looking right in the camera. These actresses, I guess, are just directed to look right in the camera. And it's just so fun in camp, in a way, where I'm just like, oh my god, this is wonderful and great. Um, 
And then Satania and Nicole start fighting in front of this group uh, because Tanya's just pissed and mad. And so then, you know, like uh, Muriel and Ronda are just living their lives and they love it. And so um, then you see that they win the competition. I also think it's weird that there's just like some guy dressed up as Robin from Batman and Robin. Um, I don't know what he's there for, but, you know, I always kind of wondered that. So then you see that the Haslip family is out at the rickshaw room. You see that Perry is reading a um, postcard that Muriel has sent them. Uh, for some reason, Leo Higgins is at the dinner as well. I don't really know why, but he is. Um, and I think Perry says under his breath, like, you know, P.S. I'm a fat so whale. Which is just like a brother doing that. Anyway, so then Deirdre Chambers comes to the dinner as well, um, and, you know, she kind of sits there, and and people are all like, oh, yeah, you know, like, um, Deirdre got a job for Muriel with Radiant Cosmetics, and, like, you know, she should be thanking you, Deirdre, because of all this. So then this is where Deirdre and Bill are talking. They are talking at the slots, and you see the first inkling of maybe there's something going on between her and Bill, but Deirdre just kind of, like, points out that, like, hey, look, like, Muriel only got, like, this much stuff from me, so if she had sold these things, she'd only have 30 bucks of a profit. She would not be having $3,000, and Bill's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, she's on a $3,000, like, holiday, like, what do you mean? So then, of course, this is kind of like, um, yeah, she's exposed as, Deirdre exposes Muriel, pretty much. So then that just kind of puts into motion what's going to happen. But then Muriel and Rhonda are at the poolside night at nighttime. Muriel asks if she could be famous. Maybe I could be an actress. I'm mental enough. And then the girls just sing Fernando by ABBA, like, into the... While they're looking up at the night sky at the moon. And Muriel then asks, like... So they're both kind of singing a little bit. And she then asks Rhonda, she says, Do you ever think you're nothing? Sometimes I think I'm nothing useless and then Rhonda's telling her that she's a success like you know somebody wants to marry you you've made it you're amazing you know so then you see Muriel you know you then hear Fernando the actual song playing and then that gives us back to like Muriel going and um going back to Porpoise Spit to her family so she's back at her Porpoise Spit, Spit um home and then Joni is there. Her mom's there. Joni then says, like, you're terrible, Muriel. And her mom is all like, daddy's so mad. Like, you know, um, he's right at the bank right now. Like, somebody took all of our money, $12,000. You didn't do anything with those checks, da-da-da-da. And then Muriel's just like, of course I didn't. But then Muriel just literally leaves. <laughs> and she gets back in the cab, and she just, like, leaves. So we're in Sydney, City of Brides. And we meet Bryce Nobes. Uh, in the video drama store that Muriel is now working at. Um, Bryce is played by Matt Day. She's working at video drama. I kind of wish I worked at a video store back in the day. I, I wasn't able to. But anyway, um, Muriel meets Bryce while he's like coming in to get videos. Um, and she asks him to join the Video Addicts Club because he takes out a lot of videos, takes out too many videos. And then Bryce asks her out for the first time. Um, and she's just like, oh, okay. So then you see um, Muriel gets a call, and it's Rhonda, who works right across the street at a dry cleaners. She's like, I don't have any blokes to go out with us tonight. Um, and then Muriel's all like, I have one right here. Um, and then Rhonda's just like, I can't really see him. Can you have him look over here? And then she just, Muriel just says, like, can you look over at that dry cleaner over there, please? So then you see that, you know, they're just, like, scamming on Bryce a little bit to, like, take him out to the club. So Mario and um, Rhonda, they go out to lunch, and Muriel says, I'm going to change my name to Mario. Um, and then while they're at lunch, um, Muriel just lies about, like, Tim Sims coming after her, saying, like, oh, yeah, like, he said that if I he ever found out where I lived, like, he'd shoot the person I was living with, and then he'd shoot me and then himself. So she's just lying about Tim Sims at this point. But, you know, again, she's with her friend. She's with Rhonda. And then you see Rhonda, Muriel, and Bryce out at the club. Muriel says, like, Rhonda changed my life. And then Rhonda takes home these two American sailors. Um, she says, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Um, and then you see Muriel and Bryce dance in the club. Um, so again, you can see that, like, this time, Muriel, like, she has a nice, like, she's got her nice hair going on. Like, she looks real good. Like, um, you know, she's really blossomed since she came to Sydney. 
We're then introduced to the flat that they're living in. It's coming home from the club. So Muriel and Bryce have tea. Um, while, you know, Rhonda and the sailors are very loudly, audibly having sex. Um, so they're just having a threesome. So then you see Muriel and Bryce, they're watching the news about Hibiscus Island, that there's like a pretty much hurricane or whatever the equivalent to Australia is. But there's like this big tropical storm going on at Hibiscus Island and Muriel's all like, me and Rhonda went there. Um... And then you see Bill has up on the TV. Uh, he's talking about, like, uh, you hear a little bit of it where it's like, you know, oh, yeah, like, his daughter, like, went away and, like, ran away. But then Bill's on TV asking for Muriel to come back home. We don't care about the money, all that. Um, and then Muriel and Bryce just attempt to have sex on the beanbag chair that they were sitting on, which could not have been comfortable. But, you know, they did it. Uh, they tried to do it, at least. This is where you find out that Bryce is a parking inspector. Which, you know, is, okay, cool, fine, whatever. Um, so then you just hear, um, you just hear, um, Muriel laughing because she's just like, what the hell? Like, I can't even, like, um, you know, because Bryce is trying to, like, take off her shirt and try to take off her pants. She, he accidentally unzips the beanbag chair and, like, all the beanbag, uh, insides just kind of come falling out. Um, and then she... All this commotion has the sailors just run out with their bare asses to the camera. Uh, they're just naked as anything, naked as hell. And um, then they ambush Bryce because they think they're like he's just assaulting her or something, right? And then Rhonda just like you know um, comes out. She's like, "What is going on?" But then she falls on the floor just like randomly, and she says she can't feel her legs. And so because of this, Rhonda is then rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. Um, with Muriel having just, like, laughed. Like, well, she was just like, is this even real? Like, you know, once she says that, you know, Rhonda can't feel her legs. So then Mariel is at the hospital with Rhonda, and she calls home to Joni. So you find out through this phone call that Bill has moved out of the house and is living in the uh, hotel. He's blaming Betty for all of this issue because of the blank check that was given to, to Muriel. And uh, Betty is talking to Muriel. She's like, we hadn't known what happened to you. We thought you became a prostitute or a drug addict. Just talking about how they're falling on hard times and all. And that, you know, the Heslips are then raided. The phone, uh, once they get off the phone with her, um, they're just like raided because there's like an inquiry going on. And this is where we find out that Bill is actually in Sydney for the inquiry and all that. Um, so we find out all this information and then we get Rhonda getting a diagnosis of a tumor. Uh, and for some reason, they don't seem to know that a tumor normally means that you have some sort of cancer. Um, one of these has, like, one of the fun lines that I like. Um, she's asking, like, how did I get it? It's nothing to do with too much sex, is it? Like, I kind of love that line. It's just so silly. But um, then she's like, oh, no, I have cancer. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to eat macrobiotic food or whatever. And, you know... I think she says something about, I don't remember exactly what she said, but, you know, talking about diagnosis. But at this point, you just think, like, okay, this is, like, a, a discrete tumor. Like, it'll be fine. There's some risk uh, to the spinal cord, but, you know, it won't be uh, as bad, maybe. So then you see Muriel walking past a bridal shop, and she makes her first lie to this bridal shop, saying that, like, her, um, her mom is in the hospital with a tumor on her spine. Um, you then hear this like beautiful dancing queen instrumental music in the background, which is really nice. Um, and then she also says that her wedding is going to be in September, which is spring, which I think is a little backwards for Australia. I believe that um, some of their seasons are a little different than the U S because when I watched the first, first time I was like, wait, September is fall, but I think it's the opposite for Australia. It seems like, um, she then tries this wedding dress on, and the bridal shop takes a photo of her, uh, because, you know, they normally don't do this, but your mother just has to see how beautiful you look in that dress. Um, and so then she, Muriel makes a wedding album of her wearing these dresses, and it says our wedding on the front of it and all, and, and she's just doing this for God knows what reason, but... It's what she's doing. She feels good about it. So then you see Rhonda is trying to learn how to walk again at her physical therapy, which Muriel has come to. 
Um, and Muriel, you know, Rhonda's asking, like, how can you stand to be helping me like this? Like, you help me dress, you help me eat, like, you help me do all this stuff. Like, how do you stand it? Um, and Muriel says, like, you know, Rhonda changed her life. She used to just sit at home, you know, sometimes she'd stay in there all day, you know, and listen to ABBA songs. And now since she's come to Sydney, like, she hasn't listened to one ABBA song it's because her life is as good of an Abbas as an Abbas song. Now it's as good as dancing queen. Um, and then Rhonda's like, Oh, come off it. But then Rhonda asks Muriel to promise that they'll never go back to porpoise spit. Like they're so much more happy in this situation than they were in their previous. And then, you know, Muriel says like, I promise, but you're going to be, you're going to walk. Like, don't worry. So you have this like, kind of like reassurance that maybe things will go right. Maybe it'll be all right. So then Muriel scouts out different bridal shops to go to while Mamma Mia plays um, by ABBA. So Muriel leaves work to, like, go try on wedding dresses. You see Rhonda is, like, um, having to go to her PT. So she's, like, going to go get her cigarettes, and then she's going to be leaving. She's like, looking around, looking around. And then um, Rhonda, as she's looking, finds Muriel's wedding album, where she sees, like, Muriel in these, like, wedding, you know, dresses which is kind of weird and a little odd and so then Rhonda goes out and is trying to look for Muriel at these bridal shops she's trying to figure out like what is going on here like I don't understand what's going on so then Rhonda finally finds Muriel at one of these bridal shops and she confronts her and then Muriel pretty much come clean about everything so like like are you getting married to Tim Sims or not and then you know Muriel's like there is no Tim Sims I made him up um, and she's talking about how, like, everything is different. Like, once I came here, I changed my name to Mario. Bryce asked me out. And if that means that I got asked out, it means I'm not her anymore. Um, I mean, I'm not going back to being her again, you know? Um, and she's talking about Muriel Heslop. You know, fat, useless, you know, I hate her. And then she talks about, like, you know, why can't it be me? Why can't I be the one, you know? And... In this scene, and then um, Muriel's just, like, sitting in this wedding dress crying, and then Rhonda just, like, leaves, because she's, like, over, she's just over Muriel's shit at this point. And um, this scene, I think, is such a good one. I, I definitely would say, um, if this was ever nominated for an Oscar, it was not, unfortunately, but this would have been the Oscar scene they would have shown, you know what I mean? I think it did get uh, nominated for, like, the Australian version of the Oscars. Uh, I think Muriel actually, uh, Tony Collette actually won. This scene is a really good one because it's really showing just, like, how much Muriel, like, hates her old life and just, like, in a way, still kind of just, like, hates herself because, like, she's just running away from it all. Um, she hated that old version. She loves herself now. But does she really, though? Like, I mean, she's still just lying. She's just lying about everything. Um, but, you know, and, you know, but when it comes to how she was brought up and how horrible her father was, how checked out her mother was, you know, it, it's not surprising that, you know, she's making these horrible decisions as a whole, you know? And so, again, that kind of goes back to this idea that, like, Muriel is just... Not exactly very likable at this point, and um, which is interesting because she's our main character, and normally you're supposed to have a likable main character, which is why I think this um, movie in particular is just great because you have this uh, flawed heroine, you have this flawed character um, who you're supposed to be looking at, and you're not really rooting for her for a fair amount of this movie. Then we see Muriel is at work, and she gets a call from her father. And pretty much Muriel goes out to dinner with Bill and, like, his lawyers, I believe, at this rickshaw room, I guess, is where we're back at. Um, or we're in a similar area, I guess, or at least a similar restaurant or something. And pretty much Bill, her dad is now saying, like, she has to come back to Porpoise Spit, like, you know, I'll get you a bank loan, I'll get you a job at the Leagues Club, but you're going to pay for what you did, Muriel. And then Deirdre Chambers comes in. Uh, and I remember, like, I think it was that uh, her dad just called her Muriel again, and she just yells, like, it's Mariel. You know, you see that Deirdre and um, Bill are talking, and then, you know, Muriel's just kind of sitting there, and sitting there, and then she just asks, like, are you and Deirdre together? And, like, she just asks, like, have you left mom for Deirdre? And so, yeah, like, she then asks, like, well, what about mom? And... 
you know, you can just tell that Bill and Deirdre are just kind of in for themselves. Um, and Muriel's just like, all right, well, I guess this is what happens when I left and I did this. Um, so then you see Rhonda sitting in the dark of the apartment, just smoking. She finds out that she'll never walk again. So the tumor came back. So all this great stuff that happened before of like, oh, like, you know, you're going to walk again. Like all this, like, uh, hope and, and all this, it, you know, no, no more of that. Um, she's now just going to never be able to walk again. But again, you know, she's telling her mom, like, uh, you know, Rhonda says to her mom, like, I'm staying here with you, you know? I'm staying here with um, Muriel, pretty much. And it's like, okay, fine, fine. So then Muriel, um, when she finds this out, she's looking through these personal magazines of personal ads. And she comes across this one um, for, uh, she calls this guy, it's for a swim a swimmer uh so she talks to the swim coach and she meets this guy by the name of david van arkel who is a south african who's in sydney he is um going to be he's going to be playing in the swimming portion of the olympics uh for australia but before he can do that he needs to get married to an australian citizen in order for him to get citizenship the swim coach and David Van Arkel, they're sitting down and they're talking to Muriel. You know, David is just like, I oh, know, what about the blonde, you know, the black haired one? You know, what about the blonde? You know, oh, well, you were interested in her. I'm not so sure now because he's just like disgusted by Muriel. He doesn't want to talk to her and like doesn't want to be with her. Uh, but she's like all down for it because she's already, you know, like uh, she's lying a bunch. So that's one of the questions that uh, the swim coach asks is like, uh, do you think you'll, you know, you're, are you okay with being able to lie kind of a thing? And she's just like, well, I could try. He, they talk about Kiernan Perkins and then she's just like, who? And apparently he was like a, a Australian swimmer of some sort. So obviously she knows nothing about sports or swimming, obviously, but that's fine. And then David's family is paying $10,000 to someone who can fake being a bride. So she'll do it. And then it's interesting because the swim coach is asking Muriel, like, you know, where are you originally? Are you originally from Sydney? She's like, no, pull up a spit. And he says, like, why did you leave there? And then Muriel just, like, talks very openly about exactly what she's been feeling in this whole film. And this is the exact quote. She literally says, well... Because of all the mental things that happened to me, I got shallow. And my physical being could have been improved as well as my mentality. So, like, literally this whole time you're just like, oh, you're very cognizant of what you're doing, I guess. Like, you're very, like, um, you know exactly what's going on. Like, what the heck? Like, you left Porpoise Spit for a reason and you're very aware of why you left. But, like, still you're kind of keeping up on the same stuff. You're on your same bullshit kind of a thing. Um, but then you see Muriel comes home to the flat and she sees Rhonda asleep and then she goes into her room and she listens to Dancing Queen, similar to how she was in near the beginning of the film when she, um, got brought home by the police. Um, you know, it's, it's like nearly identical to this, um, to this scene. And so that's kind of showing that like, this is something that's really, Muriel's about to make like a not great decision but she's going with it anyway um so she has this like identical scene from near the beginning which i thought was really interesting when i looked at it again so then you have mario's wedding this is now happening in sydney mario's fake wedding is actually now happening at this church um there's been all this attention about it and all that kind of stuff you see Rhonda and her mom have arrived um Rhonda is in her wheelchair and she's like her mom's like telling her like go near the front she's like I don't want to sit up here mom um and so she like just goes to the like the side or whatever and you see that the bomb bimbos are back sans Nicole though they don't have her there and they're now her bridesmaids they're Muriel's bridesmaids um and you know they're asking like oh, what happened with you um and, you know, Rhonda just tells him, like, you know, well, I got cancer and, you know, they had to take the tumor out, but, you know, I won't be able to walk again. And Cheryl, with her dumb ass, she just says, like, he was so full of life. And then I love Rhonda's response of just saying, well, I'm not dead, Cheryl. And it's just so funny because of how she delivers it. Um, it's so fun. And it's definitely a quote that I think a lot of people love as well. We then find out that Tanya is divorcing Chuck. So she's like, I guess I have you to thank for that. Um, and 
you know, hopefully I can repay you one day or something like that. So then Bryce shows up to the wedding. He's like sitting on Muriel's side. Deirdre's up at the wedding, you know, doing her little makeup and all that, you know, and then Bill's there, of course, because he's like walking her down the aisle. Um, and then Muriel actually comes in. Mario comes in uh, from her little car that she's been driving it around. Um, she's been driving around in, and she comes up. And then Tanya looks at her and she says, "Mario, you're beautiful." So then the actual ceremony is getting started. Um, so you have this wedding march of the ABBA song "I Do, I Do, I Do," which is honestly a banger. And I don't know about me if I ever get married, but I definitely want that at my uh, wedding party. And I want that as my wedding march. God damn it! But anyway, so then you see Muriel coming down the um, aisle to the song, and everyone's kind of looking at her like, oh, "What the hell?" Um, which is so funny because like this this wedding is completely a wedding of convenience. It's a marriage of convenience. It's a green card wedding at this point, um, or like, you know, a citizenship wedding at this point. But like, you know, Muriel's just as happy as a clam. She is just happy with what she's doing. She doesn't care if she is lying about all this, which we shouldn't be very shocked about. But then David's just freaking out. He's just like, oh God, I have to marry this thing? Like, what the hell? So then Betty finally shows up to the wedding where you see a Sydney 2000 um little banner on the car which i thought was kind of fun because um you know sydney 2000 that was when the olympic games were and that was their campaign uh because this was back in like what 94 or something like that so you know this is like their campaign to actually go and do this um so then the marriage actually happens and you know uh i think muriel actually like uh corrects the priest and just says mario and um they consummate it, you know, they say, yep, I do, I do, and then they walk back down the aisle. David has actually never met Betty, and she thinks that, he thinks that um, Deirdre is Muriel's mom, because she says, or no, he says, um, Mr. Heslop, Mrs. Heslop, so he just thinks that Deirdre's actually the mother, when really she's not. Um, Betty's, like, in the back row, um, and then, you know, David and Muriel, they're walking down the aisle, and they just kind of, like, I don't think Muriel even meant to do it, but, like, she just doesn't even see her mom at all, and she just walks right past her, doesn't even acknowledge her, Betty brought her a present, all this stuff, and Betty is just, like, she just begins to cry, um, which is so sad, it's such a sad scene when you see, uh, Jeannie, um, Jeannie Dryan, like, she's just, like, such a good actress because she, you know, is just showing that, like, oh, my God, like, what the hell? And then the bridesmaids are being fake as hell because they're saying, like, oh, like, we knew back in Popa Spit, we knew Mario back in Popa Spit, and, you know, we were the best of friends, even though, literally, in the beginning, like, they were treating her horribly. So then, you know, Mario's just, like, in wedded bliss and all, and she sees Rhonda with her wheels just, like, on the side of the church. And Mario sees Rhonda in her wheelchair. She goes up to talk to her, and she's, you know, all, like, pretty much, like, you know they came groveling back to me like i showed them and then ron's just like what you showed them what um that i'm just as good as them you know they used to pick on me and pull up a spit and at this point ron is just sick of mariel shit at this point like she's um she says like good luck with whoever his name is and mariel's just like where are you going and be like what do you think like you gave up on me you know, I needed help. I needed a friend. I couldn't make the rent. I couldn't do the shopping. Like, I have to go back to mom with, you know, porpoise spit with mom, you know, all that. And then Muriel just says, like, you know, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go by bus. Like, I got your plane tickets for you and your mom. And then, again, like, Rhonda is just, like, done with this shit. She's just like, you know what? Like, Muriel Van Arkle stinks, you know? She's not half the person that Muriel Haslip was. Um, so now you've just lost your friend in Rhonda, but then like the blonde bimbos come around and then, you know, they're told like, you know, Rhonda's coming back to, um, back home to Porpoise Spit. Be like, oh no, don't worry, Missy. Like, you know, we'll push her around, uh, which is just so telling obviously, but like, you know, you're just like, oh my God, like what? exactly is going on here <laughs> uh but i think this uh batch of scenes as well i mean so it is the wedding and everything uh, but it's really just showing that muriel is just so delusional or she's just such this liar that like she's okay with all of this happening she's so 
like single sighted about what she's doing pretty much, um, which is just crazy. And I'm just like, yeah, but that's that's part of it. And again, she's showing that she's not the most likable of people in this situation. She's a little bit selfish, honestly. Um, yeah, and we're just thinking. And so it's crazy is that this is called Muriel's Wedding, but it's like, even when we get to Muriel's Wedding, you know, it's just like, oh my god, this is like a depressing wedding, kind of, because it's not even real, you know, but... Yeah. So then you have David and Mario are coming back to the apartment. Um, this is where David has been living. Um, his parents have been paying for this. So David gives the apartment tour to Muriel. He says, you know, you can use everything but the weights, uh, with the little gym that he has. Uh, shows him his room, shows her his room, shows her room. And then, you know, he's asking, like, it wasn't all just about the money, was it? And he asks, like, what kind of person marries someone that they don't even know? And then Muriel's just like, well, you did. Like, you you did. Um, and he then responds. He says, like, I want to win. All my life, I've wanted to win. And I love that Muriel just says back to him, like, me too. Because she's just always wanted to be somebody. You know, she said in the beginning of the film, like, she's going to be a success. And in actuality, she kind of is a success. She's this famous new wife of this swimmer, and there's this media attention going on. So she kind of got what she wanted, I guess, which is fine. But then you see, you cut back to Porpoise Spit, where Betty has gone shopping. She uh, steals some shoes while she's out at the store. So you see her walking, you see her feet, and you're just like, oh god, like those are not great shoes, or they're just too small, or she couldn't get a new pair, or whatever. So she takes a pair and, you know, um, wears them out of the store. She gets caught uh, by that same senior store detective from the beginning, and you see there's, like, this split diopter shot of um, Betty's face and then Bill and the police officers behind her. It's really good. It reminds me of that shot in Carrie uh, with Tommy and Carrie in the classroom. Um, and then so Bill, you know, takes her home. They're driving home. And she's even saying, like, she's literally saying to her husband, like, I meant to pay. I need help. And Bill is driving home and he just drowns her out with the radio. He's not even listening to her at this point. So you can tell that their relationship is just at the end and it's in the pits. So then you see Bill is packing up a suitcase and he's leaving Betty. He asks for a divorce. Bill leaves. He leaves in the car. And then you just see Betty looking at it and just like as she's leave and as he's leaving. And then all you see is just her son Perry is like sitting on the couch in the living room or he's sitting on a chair in the living room. And she just looks at him um, and she just yells at Perry. She's just yelling at him and hitting him with like a magazine, like a dog. Like, get out! Get out and get yourself a job. You're an embarrassment. And then Perry's yelling back at his mom. He's like, you're the embarrassment, you mad bitch. And it's just like a whole thing, y'all. It was just crazy. So when you see then Betty is like in the, um, you see her in the beginning at the counter where she puts a, um, a counter in the kitchen where she puts a tea in the microwave to like give to Bill. You see her at that same counter, and she's just, like, distraught, and she just begins to cry. And it is so heartbreaking, because you can tell that she's just, like, at her wit's end. And honestly, nobody seems to care. Which then goes into the rest of the movie, or the rest of the plot, pretty much. So, Mario is watching her own footage of her, her wedding while David is downstairs uh, on the ground floor pool, you know, outside, doing a swim. And then Mario gets a call from Joan. And Joan tells her, Mom's died. You know, Dad says you have to come home. So then you see that there's these clouds, and you see that Muriel has to, like, um, fly back to Porpoise Spit. She comes back to the house, and you see that... Miro comes back. The family's just kind of all sitting around, and they're in shambles. For some reason, I think the young one, Penelope, she's just, like, on the phone with a friend of hers being like, hey, yeah, the funeral's tomorrow. Are you coming? I just thought it was so weird. But anyway, so, um, you know, is cleaning up the house because um, they're still living there, I guess. And so, but the family's just, like, all distraught and in shambles about this whole thing. Deirdre, uh 
sits Muriel down and she says, like, it was a heart attack. You know, she went peacefully. She talks about something about making the ultimate sacrifice. She, you made the ultimate sacrifice for her family, you know, for your father's happiness. Um, now he's got, you know, the judge will go um, more lenient on him. He's got kids to, to take care of or whatever. And at this point, I just wrote in my notes, I was like, Deirdre, it's kind of an actual piece of shit at this point because I'm just like, oh my God, like you were cheating on this. You were cheating with this married man. And then now you're saying that this wife has, his ex-wife at this point has now died. You're now marrying, dude, you know, married this guy. And freaking, like, you're telling his daughter, like, oh, she made the old student sacrifice? Like, anyway, Deirdre was a piece of shit. I'm just saying. Like, I can't even. So then Mario goes and she discovers that the burned backyard, um, where literally, so the backyard from the beginning, where Perry was playing his little soccer game, um... It's just burned because apparently he was supposed to like go mow it and he didn't. So instead of like having it be mowed, uh, Betty just like torched it before she um, passed away, I guess. So then you see a scene with Joni and Mario. And Joni's just talking about how, like, you know, what am I going to do without her? You know, and like, here's her photo album. You know, and she has this photo album. This is the photo album where I believe um, all the Heslip kids are like actual. These are photos of, of the actors as actual children. You then find out that Joan knows how her mom actually died. And really, her mom died of suicide. She took pills, sleeping pills. And they were next to her when she, you know, was found. And then when Dr. Farrell, who is like the family doctor or whatever, came through, they were gone, which pretty much, I guess, means that like Bill had taken them or Dr. Farrell had taken them or something because, you know, like dad's been through enough or whatever. Maybe he has been. It's just like so sad because, I mean, this woman was like yelling out for help. It's very obvious that she needed help and nobody seemed to care about it, which is really sad. So then you have the day of the funeral and you have a message from former prime minister of Australia, Bob Hawke, that, you know, um, Bill was able to get, which is like all he seemed to care about, um, you know, because there were journalists there and they were writing down like, you know, all of this. Um, and it's just crazy because then like, you can tell that just Bill has just been kind of all about himself, this whole movie. And even when his wife has died, like the thing he's focusing on is the fact that he was able to get this message from a former crooked prime minister of Australia, which I thought was crazy. And this is when you see Muriel just runs out of the funeral. Um, you know, after, uh, the priest was saying like, you know, uh, Betty Heslop lived for her family, um, and, you know, the, her daughter Muriel's wedding to, you know, the sky, it was like the highlight of her life and all this stuff. And then Muriel's just running out of the funeral, um, running out of the church and David's actually there to meet her, uh, at the front. Um, Muriel then goes to her motel room on the beach motel and she says, like, I'm just like him. You know, I used to think I wasn't like him, but now I know I'm just like him. And then Muriel and David actually kiss for, like, the first time actually since the wedding. Um, and it's implied, I guess, that they have, like, sex. They finally have consummated their, their marriage. Uh, but at this point, Muriel calls a cab to help take her home. And she says, like, I can't stay married to you, David. And she takes off her ring and she goes back to the family house. But before leaving that motel, she even says, which I thought was a really good line, she says, I can't stay married to you, David. I have to stop lying now. I tell so many lies. One day I won't know I'm doing it. So at this point, it's at this point that we're halfway through the movie we're like a quarter of the way th uh, done almost and at this point muriel has finally seen you know the error of her ways and she now realizes that everything around her has fallen to shit she's lost her best friend she's lost her mom all of this and she now decides like I have to stop lying. I tell so many lies. One day I won't know I'm doing it. Which I think is a really, you know, insightful kind of, in a weird way, it is insightful. And it's to be like, yeah, like, that is a horrible character flaw of hers. But she's realizing it and she wants to do something about it. So, I mean, it is a nice little redemption for her, you know. And I really do like that. 
Um, it makes me feel for her at least now where she knows where she went wrong. So then Muriel and her dad are in the backyard, the burnt backyard talking. And Muriel finally stands up to her dad because he's talking about like, oh, you know, you have to come back to, uh, you know, you have to hum- come back and help with the kids and all. I don't know if, I think Perry and Muriel are like the same kind of age maybe. So there's that. But she even says, Muriel says, like, it has to be you, dad. Like, you have to be the one to take care of them. You know, they're your children. They're just my siblings, pretty much. So then Muriel gives half of the money back to her dad. So out of the 12000 she took, she gives 5000 back. This is from the 10000 that she just got from David Van Harkle. Because um, he tells her to keep the money. It's yours. And I love this, um, the quote that she says. She says, you owe us, dad. We're not useless. We never were. You're going to tell them that they're not useless. Like, you're going to be there for your kids. And I love how Muriel is finally standing up to her father, you know, because all this time, a lot of what this is is like, you know, Muriel has been brought up in this family where her dad was just shitting on his family, you know, and just saying that they're useless. And he's just not that great of a dad, it seemed like, right? And then you see that, like, finally, when everything has kind of fallen around him, Muriel's on her way up. You know, she's trying to get her life back together now. And then now it's just Bill and his kids. And, you know, he's unemployed. He has to go to the dole office and all this. And I just thought that was so interesting. You then find out that Bill apparently grew up on a farm because he talks about how you reap what you sow. And then Muriel pretty much says bye to her dad, you know, and says, I'm going to, you know, go back to Sydney. I'm going to get a job and I'll give you the rest of the money. But I do really like that, you know, you owe us kind of thing. Like, because, yeah, she finally stands up to her dad and says that. Because she's trying to right all these wrongs, you know, and and then you see uh, one of the final scenes. You see Rhonda and the blonde bimbos. <laughs> so like Rhonda is sitting at her house with her mom and like the three, you know, blonde friends, and uh, they say that they're going to go to lunch with Rose Biggs and be like. Rose Biggs, but like, didn't she suck your husband's cock? Well, she did. Um, and it has the, one of the best lines in, um, Tanya says like, well, I sucked her husband's cock and it made me realize that we all make mistakes, which, you know, is just so insightful for Tanya. I really do. I love that. And then Muriel is coming back to Rhonda to ask her, you know, if she could come back to Sydney with her. Like I have two plane tickets and I'm, I'm willing to, to go with you if you want to go with me. It, um, doesn't completely remind me of Juno, but like, you know how like, um, spoiler alert, I guess, but Juno at the end of the movie, she goes and tells Vanessa, um, Jennifer Garner, she tells her like, if you're in, I'm in kind of a thing. Like, you know, this is, um, this is Muriel going back and being like, Hey, I'm here if you're here and I want to go back and have this life with you. And then Rhonda's like, you know, Rhonda's mom's all like, what makes you think you can come back here and just, you know, um, you know, you just come back here and like take uh, Rhonda away from the people who care about her. And then like Rhonda's like, cause she can. Yeah. I mean, she actually cares about me. She calls, um, the three friends cocksuckers. She says her mom drives her crazy and she just leaves with Muriel. You know, they get in the car and they, they get in the taxi and they leave. They're saying goodbye to everything as they're leaving. They say, you know, goodbye, Taurus. Goodbye, mall. Uh, goodbye, porpoise spit, you know? And while all the while dancing queen is playing, um, and pretty much it's just them all leaving or it's them two leaving and they're going back to the airport to go to Sydney and have their life together. And one of the notes that I, I made, uh, on my notes is, you know, that from the beginning of the movie where you see Muriel and she looks quite different, you know, in that point, right? And then you see the end of this film, and she looks fairly different. You can just tell that her confidence has been better. Um, she grew her confidence. She grew her self-esteem in a way. Um, and she's now feeling really good about herself, which I really love. Um, because even though, like I stated, Muriel is not a very likable character through most of this movie. But... It's not until, like, the close near the end that she finally realizes, like, what's important, what she needs to do to, like, you know, right her wrongs um, and try to live a better life. And I really, really appreciate that, um, that story 
for sure. That's the end of Muriel's Wedding. So as I stated earlier in this podcast, I really enjoy this movie. To me, it's like, um, I think PJ Hogan has even said it's like the saddest comedy you'll ever watch. Um, I don't know about all that, but it's definitely a sad movie to me sometimes. I definitely, you feel a certain way when you watch it, where you're just like, oh God, like this is kind of a downer. But there is some funny parts in there too as well, so it's not all terrible um but it definitely makes you feel a certain way but i absolutely think this is such a a wonderful movie um if you haven't had the chance to watch it um I think it's so cool, too, that, like, I definitely would recommend it, but I think it's so cool, too, that, like, you know, P.J. Hogan got this movie made, and it became a success, which is cool, but then, I mean, he was able to then kind of break into the, the, um, the American market with My Best Friend's Wedding, which is also a great film, too, um, and, you know, I think that this is, like, Miro's Wedding and My Best Friend's Wedding are kind of a great little double feature to make. Uh, because it's just like highlighting like unlikable um female protagonists, <laughs> flawed her- heroines, if you will, um, in your romantic comedy, quote unquote. Um, because what I love about my person's wedding, it's not a typical romantic comedy, you know? Um and love that. But I think it definitely started a little bit with Muriel's Wedding. And then also even, too, like, you know, the fact that ABBA, you know, had their music used in this movie and it became a good success. But, like, you know, I definitely think, like, even earlier in the uh, the show, talking about, like, how it might have helped inspire Mamma Mia. Like, I've never really watched Mamma Mia like that. I haven't really been interested to. But, like, this is, like, phew, Mamma Mia who? You know? I mean, Muriel's Wedding is it for me in that way. So you can currently stream this on uh, Stars if you have a Stars subscription. Um, it's also, I think, free on YouTube in the U.S. Um, you can find it. I was able to find it somewhere um, under a YouTube channel. It was for, like, English movies or something, like British movies or something like that, uh, even though it's Australian, but I, I, uh, found it and I, I watched it. It was nice. So that's another way you can try to watch it too. I think the only way you can really get this is if maybe, uh, if you want to get physical media, like, uh, there's a DVD of it, which is fine. Um, there's not really a Blu-ray that I know of or anything. There's no like special collector's edition or anything, but, uh, I definitely would highly recommend you, um, going out and treating yourself to, uh, to Muriel's wedding. You, as always, if you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com in case you wanted to give me any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, girl, hey, I'm open to all of it. Um, you can also follow Cult Cinema Circle on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. You can follow uh, Instagram, Cult Cinema Circle. Twitter is Cult Cinecircle. Uh, on those platforms, I tend to just post like when new episodes are coming out, what the next episode will be, and things of that nature. Um, and then on Letterboxd, you can find me at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P. I log what movies I watch and write little reviews on there and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you like to listen. Um, Be sure to uh, rate five stars and leave a one to two sentence review. It helps the uh, algorithm be able to show the show to more people and helps grow the show more. Uh, Again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, you're terrible, Muriel. See ya. Bye.